We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Aikman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. He steps up, throws for the end zone. Olsen, touchdown. Welcome back to another episode of The Roar, brought to you by Blue Wire. I'm your host, Billy Marshall. After taking a week off, I'm back with my guy, Mr. John Ellis, who has done a phenomenal job in my absence. And we'll get to all of the reports in a minute. But John, what's up, man? Welcome back, world traveler. Good to see you. And uh, I appreciated the the text from you that uh, I believe you were funneling something, some type of beverage and eating lobster. And while you were doing all of that and, and basking in the sun, I was standing on the field at Wofford College, which is essentially a swamp and sauna in one watching Matt Rule's third-year Panthers trying to get things rolling. Definitely, uh, it's a long time coming, you and I back together here, and and we got a lot to get to, man. Good to have you back. Yeah, for sure. I know we had the same format last year while I took a same hiatus. Uh, Obviously, that one went a little long because I did, unfortunately, catch COVID last year during my trip, but this year, stayed healthy for all seven days. There was no requirement um, to take a COVID test on the way back. And I'm back home and uh, still healthy. So that's uh, always a positive sign. But good. Uh, you know, as we kind of transferred this discussion into the professional football team that we cover, um, mm-hmm. it's been a little, you know, it's been obviously great to follow your coverage. I think you've presented a ton of really nice uh, information and transparency with the team is kind of going through and, you know, how you kind of see the practices being organized. Thanks, um, why don't you just take me through you know, some of the kind of updates you have since your last episode. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, want to also thank our listening audience and, and Blue Wire, especially for facilitating our forum here. What we've done this week, and, and Billy, you and I kind of uh, workshopped how we would handle training camp coverage. And it was a little bit like last year, just sort of more of a daily episode. And I think we'll try to do some more of that throughout parts of seasons that require it because it's good to give people sort of a daily dose of what's happening and it's been kind of refreshing for me because just on a personal level when I go to camp and and reporters you know you you see like Ellis Williams Joe Person everybody's got their own way of doing the work Uh, it's about an hour and a half practice you only have so much time to capture information Uh, and I found and, and by the way just let me just start this by saying Billy if you don't know this the whole world does by now the team, and I get it, you know, things happen. The team has prohibited fans now, not just, you know, people in the media like, you know, myself and others. But fans, if you're walking around, if your phone is out and it looks like you're filming something during the course of actual 11-on-11, 7-on-7s, non, you know, stretch type of drills, they're going to ask you to put the phone away. And if you don't, they'll take it away. So you're seeing much less in terms of video coverage online uh, and for the media, you get a small window you can film in. So I've kind of looked at that and said, move away from, let me try to capture every snapshot of what's going on and 
put the phone on silent for about an hour and just take some notes. So in the great tradition of Mad Rule, who loves a good note taker, uh, your boy John here got his steno pad and then I upgraded to a bigger notebook and actually got some charts out and, and tried to chart this practice as if I was a part of the staff. Now I'm not, and I, I wouldn't have the qualifications to do that. But from day one, I came in first day of last week. And as we mentioned on the first episode of our weekly digest here on the podcast, uh, it was a good opportunity to get a sense of how this team looked at in pads. Because, Billy, you know, until they're in pads, that's sort of the first gate you crossed in really evaluating what you've got. OTAs are there for install, getting to know you, uh, communication, you know, logistics. Once you get into the padded portion of training camp, you really get a sense of, okay, you can go make some collisions here. You can put together some block schemes in the run game. The run game is really where you get to see it, Billy, I think a lot in terms of the blocking. And then you also get a chance to evaluate the quarterbacks, which is a big deal right now. And as we talked about, and we're going to continue to talk about this in a very nuanced way we're not going to hot take it and we're also not going to ignore it when we started this week in pads Matt Rule was still working both of the top two quarterbacks which would be Baker Mayfield Sam Darnold on an equal pitch count with the ones so the understanding was and this is comments Matt made Matt made during the week that there would be a practice on Friday and Saturday which was yesterday today and there could be some changes to everybody's sort of role there. Well, just a quick update as we flash forward to today, I can tell you that Darnold took at least 28 pass attempts and Mayfield, I believe was at like 21. So it's clear right now that Sam Darnold is still getting, and this is with ones and twos combined. They're still splitting time. As we talked to you on Saturday, August the 6th at the number one quarterback spot rule also said today, Billy, and I'm paraphrasing, but this is from Ellis Williams, and I passed it along to our listeners here, that Matt Rule was not going to make any decisions on starters until the New England preseason game, which is 13 days from the day. So, obviously, everybody's got an opinion on this. I'd love to get yours at some point in the show. But as we go back and look throughout the week, some, some things that I can just give you on a high level as we get started here, and then we can go more detail-based. Uh, I, I did mention the fact that every year you go to camp, you kind of see an oh shit moment. Like, okay, that right there does not look like it's, it's something that's going to hold up by October. Or that quarterback, boy, those are some throws that don't belong in the NFL. You, you see some things occasionally like that, that that really make you concerned that, okay, if this is a guy that's at least first or second string, I, I'm not sure how things are going to go if he's asked to be a full-time player. Cam Irving was the prime example of this last year from day one sitting there with Stanley McClover on the hill and looking at how badly he was overmatched by Brian Burns on every level, power, speed, power to speed, speed to power, <laughs> bull rush. Uh, it was going to be an uphill battle because he was penciled in as the starter, as you remember, Cam Irving. Uh, you, you can remember the Will Greer camp. Uh, I chronicled that. It was very bad. He was a rookie, but so is Matt Corral. Uh, Matt has not been very bad. He hasn't been very available and active. That's not his fault because these top two quarterbacks are getting most of the reps, but he's been on the field first. His mechanics look great. He stays late. He works with guys like Higgins, and uh, I saw him working yesterday with C.J. Saunders, who's had a very good camp. So, yeah, those are some of the high-level views. And the practice itself, I think you get a sense, and we say this every year. I said it last year. This is a really good camp. Things feel good. This feels even better, and I think part of that is the reinforcements they have, not only in James Campen, the offensive line coach, Ben McAdoo, who's been right there with the walkie-talkie, very active with the quarterbacks. You also have uh, Steve Wilkes back with the corners, and I want to talk about that with you. This cornerback room is really good, Billy, as you know. Uh, it feels like Matt has a little more, I guess, reason to be the CEO and not feel so compelled to micromanage every portion of the practice and there's less mistakes. There's less emphasis on running around the field after mistakes. It's been more efficient. To me, it's felt like a better practice uh, setup. And like I said, there's fewer mistakes. That's probably a byproduct of having better players too. Yeah, and, and I do wonder about the mistakes. And we'll get to one 
um, you know, that happened today with the celebration and, and we'll get it. I don't want to get like, you know, 30 minutes on it, but we'll just kind of touch wow. on to that in a second. But I do wonder like a lot of the mistakes, like the, and I think Bill O'Brien and a few other like New England coaches, they've done this in the past where they make players like if you fumble it or if you you know drop a pass, you have to go run a lap or something like how much, like, I, I just feel like that wastes a lot of time. Like, what I mean, there has to be like other, you know, methods of punishing a player that don't involve wasting practice time by you yeah. know, doing all this other like nonsensical stuff like running laps or doing sprints. And I, I'm not trying to diminish those. It's it's definitely good for your conditioning, especially in that heat. But I'm sure coaches with only 90 minutes of time would rather spend their time more efficiently on football only. Your words absolutely resonate with me on this. And what I do, Billy, and you do the same thing, I know, I trust but verify my own sort of instincts on this stuff. So I have what I believe to be a somewhat of a trained eye on this stuff, and I know you do too. I damn well know you do. Um, And when I go to camp, and I've been doing this for a long time, you can get a sense of is this necessary in terms of you know, repercussions from a punishment, you know, or a, a bad penalty or a, a false start or even firing JTEB on the spot last year for the hit on Keith Kirkwood. I had people walking around, even some from the organization, like this is a little extreme to cut somebody on the spot. Uh, but, but let's focus on what's going on right now. Obviously today, and, and let's just quickly frame this with a little setup from last year. If you're not aware, and I think everybody in the planet who follows the Panthers is, there was a sign that said DBO, do not beat ourselves. And this was on the chain link fence, probably about 150 yards away from the practice session itself. Um, And on probably at least 10 occasions over a couple of days, Matt would blow the whistle on procedure penalties for the offensive line primarily. They would all stop one at a time. Sometimes it'd be individuals. At times it would be the whole offense would take a brisk jog, a very lazy jog, at least 100, 150 yards across the facility, touch the sign and come back. And to your point, I I have tried to make a point to be very fair about Matt Brule, but that was an awful, awful piece of NFL motivational strategy, I think. You don't, number one, have a lot of time, as you mentioned, to maximize every rep in a very truncated training camp structure right now. You've got an offensive line that needs to gel. You don't need to waste minutes, even seconds, having guys run high school gassers with a sign. It just, it was very symbolic and corny. And of course the sign's not back. We haven't seen a lot of that until today. Now, now full disclosure, I was not at practice and we don't want to spend a half hour on this, but I think it's worth talking about because I did reach out to one former player and an NFC scout and got their opinion on this. People that are unbiased, people that kind of like Matt in a way. And what happened was, and let me get the total context of what we're looking at, right? There was a touchdown today during the scrimmage and it was Hollywood Higgins. And, you know, the story on Hollywood, he's been a longtime teammate of Baker back in Cleveland. They've got great rapport and they've been connecting quite often today on what's going on there. Uh, in terms of touchdowns. So this is from Ellis Williams, who was on site today. Baker Mayfield hit Rashard Higgins on a deep post touchdown, which we love that, by the way. Offense was geeked. Higgins rolled out to the Higgins rolled out the red carpet in a celebration, but he was flagged for taunting. Matt Rule stopped the practice, yelled at everyone, and made the offense run. An update to that, and as Ellis says, celebration gate update, Higgins also extended the ball as he walked into the end zone, Matt rule did not like that. So it looks like Higgins had room. He sort of walked in casually, extended the hand over the end zone and a combination of that and the rolling out the carpet, it set Matt off. Now I wasn't there, but people are tweeting and and Ellis texted me afterwards and was like, yeah, it it is what it is. You know, it, it, it was pretty, pretty volatile from the coach's side. So that to me, is an absolute stupid thing to do as a, as a player to hold the ball out. I get it. But it's absolutely counterproductive right now in this portion of the camp, in my view, 
for the head coach to stop everything in the middle of an exciting electric moment for your new quarterback, your new number three, maybe four receiver, who have been connecting all camp in front of the biggest crowd they've seen at camp. And you totally take the wind out of the sails with that. And you make the offense grown-ass men run over it. It's not like Higgins was, you know, doing the Randy Moss on the goalpost. It's not like he, he lifted the leg up and peed. He wasn't wiping the baby down with a diaper. It wasn't outrageous. It was a red carpet celebration. Um, making people run is something that it just it – it smells and feels like Joe Judge. And, and you know – Belichick can do what Belichick does because he's got rings. You know, when I had somebody reach out to me earlier unsolicited, an NFC scout who's been doing this for a long time, here's what he said about, hey, do you make players run? Quote, you got to let that moment ride. Talk to the whole team later tonight as a team meeting. This isn't high school. Um, Got a guy. I I totally agree with that. I think there's certainly – um, a way you should hold your players accountable for those mistakes because you don't want that to happen on Sundays. Let's be clear. You don't, I mean, I you know, a 15 yard penalty after a touchdown, I think is not the worst thing in the world, but again, you don't want it to happen. Uh, but you don't want a situation like we had a couple years ago when Teddy Bridgewater reached a ball out and he got, you know, the ball smacked out of him and it turned into a huge controversy because they told him not to do that. And I'm sure they did. But at the same time, the last thing we want is, you know, Higgins, you know, on a 60 yard touchdown, slowing down and reaching the ball out and all of a sudden out of nowhere db comes and swipes it away and it's a touchback for them quickly really quickly you know how many times newton did this during camp at least a dozen during camp trying to hit the pylon he did it against atlanta he slam dunked uh, that guy Uh, and and it was a great touchdown now it was kind of dicey i get it but ron rivera at least knew how to understand the moment and maybe have conversations with position coaches and delegate that to have the head coach come into a middle of a practice and, and do that, to me, it's not just that I didn't like it because I wasn't there and I didn't see the visual of it. And I'm trying to be fair here, but you've got people I respect around the league to look at that and say, yeah, you, you might want to just kind of pull them aside and have that talk. And, and that can be done in a, a certain way. But this is Matt's style, for better or worse. Uh, he's, a, he's a Coughlin guy, you know that. And uh, he's trying to, to work his – his his discipline style in the middle of camp and we'll see if it works it's like somebody else told me today hey if they win games we won't be talking about this but my point to that has been this gets into the discussion we're going to have in a minute about rotating players and who gets the reps it's okay to say well if we win it all worked out it's great well maybe some of what's happening here that we don't see as productive could be leading to a lack of wins Process does matter. Matt will tell you that. So I'm just curious about what the mindset from his perspective is, but he's not going to give you much on that, and we know that, so we, we just move on. Yeah, and, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, I, I guess, you know, spinning back off that comment or that tweet at least, and um, it was uh, – it seems like Mayfield and Higgins have a very nice chemistry that has been – you know, seamless from when they were in Cleveland. And I mean, what have you made so far on Mayfield? Because that seems to be the one, um, not necessarily the elephant in the room because that comes off as a little negative, but it just seems like that's what everyone is kind of paying attention to right now. Uh, Billy, I went into this trying to understand Baker Mayfield a little more as a human subject and then secondarily as a quarterback, because you can look at tape all day long you can talk to people like Cosell and Bowen and Schofield that we do on a regular basis and get your views confirmed from the tape on that. And I think we all understand what Baker is in terms of the quarterback. And we'll dive into that during the show. As the, as the human element goes, you, there's an echo chamber. And some of this sort of reflects what Newton went through as well. It's not to say either one of these guys are similar or that they've made similar mistakes or any mistakes, but you get Cowherd and some of these other mainstream guys that continue to churn unnecessarily on a guy like Baker Mayfield, and you start to think, wow, what kind of piece of shit are we getting here? This guy sounds like a real piece of work. What, what I've seen from Mayfield is something I haven't seen from a quarterback here, Billy, 
since Newton was rocking and rolling in that 2019 camp, fully recovered from the shoulder before the foot injury, you have a little bit of competitive electricity there. You And it's not fake. It's not something that comes unnatural to him. He's always been this way. I understand he's grabbed his crotch before. He was talking shit to Baylor before a game uh, back in college. There's little things. He obviously had an incident in college. It wasn't great. So I understand there's things there. But just watching him at close range here, I, I don't want to say you can't win with a quarterback who doesn't have a lot of emotion. That's not really it. But if you don't have a lot of emotion and fire, you better damn well have the acumen and the ability to lead by example and to just have that sort of quiet confidence. Sam Darnold doesn't have quiet confidence. Sam Darnold has quiet reluctance. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater is just wired a little different. And he's sort of a dink and dunk intermediate guy with good processing, but his deep balls were helium filled and he didn't have the ability to sort of in the crunch time, when the shit's on the line here at four minutes left, you're down six. There's no confidence from the guys around them that we can grow with this guy. Baker last year did not have a lot of success late in games, and that's why the media ripped him an asshole because obviously there was a labrum issue, as Mark Schofield told us recently, and he told me on the show on Fox Sports, Bill, he, he, actually I think he just had a labrum injury, Mark, <laughs> at his age. But Mark played quarterback at, at Wesleyan. And he said, John, I'm telling you, I'm not being a Baker defender, but you, people don't know how hard it is to operate as a quarterback with even a left labrum. Um, and now that he's healed, here's what I can tell you what I've seen from Baker. Um, when he is in the huddle, there is, a, there is a cadence and a command to it. So he gets in and out quickly, which is kind of nice because he's been here for a short time. He gets people lined up with efficiency. Uh, there have been very few procedure issues. There hasn't been one time I've seen where McAdoo had to blow the whistle and said, all right, let's run it again. No, not there. There haven't been any interruptions. It's been very efficient. Uh, when he gets into his drops, he is looking with a sense of purpose to push the ball down the field, but not at all costs. So his progressions to me, you can't get in somebody's head. He's, he, you can tell his mind works quicker than Sam's. He sees things with more clarity than Darnold does. And yesterday's a great example during seven on seven. So Sam comes out first with the ones, Billy, and Sam throws four completions in a row. None of them were over five yards in the air. That's fine. Whatever. It's run after catch. You've got good people there. Baker comes in with the twos. The first play call was a Y seam shot to the tight end Trimble. And, and he reads right, goes back left to it, back shoulder, goes off Trimble's fingers. That's 18 yards down the field. Second's an out route to Shy Smith, seven yards. Third, sort of a scramble drill. Things break down. He scrambles about 15 yards to his right, and he tries to throw about a 50-yard boundary pass to number 19, and it goes out of bounds by about three feet. And the last one, it's the same seam shot, just inverse the other side. Why seam to 86? Thompson catches it, crowd goes nuts, Baker runs up to him, dropping S-bombs, here we go, let's go. It's a good vibe when that happens, and that's with the backups. So, Billy, all I can tell you is, and we got much more data here, but that's a small microcosm. I know sometimes we have to remove, like, take the emotions out of the analysis here, but there's an emotional component to playing this position, and that has been missing from this huddle for a long time. You have not had a sense of confidence and let's go and, okay, let's get our shit together. Let's play with some urgency is the word I always use. Sam is the quintessential example of that. I respect Sam Darnold as a professional, but as a top three pick, what did Greg Cosell tell us? What did Matt Bowen tell us? I don't want to really get into blaming coaching. I want to evaluate the player. And so all the examples about, oh, he hasn't had this and that, and the coaching has sucked. Sam is who he is, Billy. And Baker's worst season, which would have been 19, would have been better than probably any season we've had here from a quarterback since 2018. So I'm encouraged by Baker quite a bit because all the little things that Bridgewater could do, Baker can do those things. Baker can push the ball. He's putting balls in places to Higgins on post routes on the money. He hit Robbie Anderson on a post about three or four days ago. That's a kind of ball I haven't seen in training camp since Newton was healthy. So it's very encouraging. Uh, 
I don't want people to get overwhelmed by my analysis here because things can also go south when you start facing a pass rush, a blitz, coverage schemes. But he's also been through all that too. Um, not saying he's perfect, but he's by far the best thrower of the football they've had in quite some time here. Yeah, and I guess that's encouraging to hear. And, you know, following up on that, I don't know what the plan is as far as when they'll name a starter. I think that I, I read something that after the Patriots, like joint practices and preseason game, they want to name a starter. Uh, yeah, let me just give you a quick note on that. So today Matt Rule spoke with the media on this. And uh, let me pull up my notes to make sure that I'm giving you what is accurate. It sounds like Matt Rule is going to make decisions on starters after the Patriots game on the 19th. So that's where they stand right now. That that could change. Um, and we'll follow up to make sure that that's something that does hold true moving forward. But as of right now, it sounds like uh, – let me read you the quote as well. This is from Ellis Williams, who actually documented. Mad Rule said he does not anticipate – and that's a key you know, disclaimer – he does not anticipate making a decision about who will the starters be at any position until after the Pats preseason game. That's in 13 days. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess that makes Things can change, so. Um, all right, yeah, so we'll look forward to that. And I guess my question now for you, and just I want to get your thoughts on – well, I personally have some thoughts myself. I think they're wasting everyone's time by letting it drag on this much, but I just – I don't get why you need – the intent of a competition when things have just gone so poorly for the guy who you gave up on after a year, mm -hmm. which yeah. as you should, I mean, if you're making this move to acquire Mayfield and you're doing it with the intention that Darnold wasn't good enough and he wasn't, and he hasn't been throughout his NFL career. So why are we continuing to kind of push, you know, valuable reps with him? And I, I think that's a question that I have, and uh, I don't want to kind of keep piling on them, but it just seems like... I don't think you're piling on. I think it's a fair question. I think it needs to be asked. Not enough people are doing it. It just seems easily avoidable, I guess. Yeah, it is. Um, and, again, you, you hear very few people from around the league that, that we sort of network with and talk to that are around coaching, scouting, former player circles that understand it as well. Um this is from an NFC scout quote, none of it makes sense to me. You trade for that guy, meaning Baker, and that means you don't believe in Sam. So why still give Sam reps with the ones recipe for disaster? In my opinion, he also mentions the fact that these reps are extremely valuable. Baker needs to get his timing down now, not during the season. And he also says he thinks Matt Corral could start right now for some teams, but he thinks it'll be good for him to sit for a year. Um, but the fact is, Billy, there's two things going on here. Number one, you do have these two quarterbacks that are not equal in terms of prior tape or current acumen, by the way, getting the equal number of reps. Number two, you're affecting Matt Corral's workload with this because what you would ideally want to do here is have, you know, and PJ's in the mix too, but have, you know, about a 50 – 25-15 split, something like that. The math was wrong there, but you get it. Corral is basically working maybe a couple of throws here or there in 7-on-7, seven 11-on-11s, seven, 11 and that's about it. And it's always with you know the reserves. He hasn't had time with the ones, and maybe he doesn't need that right now. But if Sam is not your future, and Matt is, um, I, I would imagine the way I would look at this, and most people do, is Baker, name him the starter yesterday. <laughs> Don't don't play this game where you're trying to manufacture some type of competitive juice. They don't need that. It's not going to help Sam any. Baker sees right through it. The team sees right through it. And they're not increasing the trade value by doing this. So whatever the end game is, that's my only question, Billy. I don't mind a coach trying unconventional things. I mean, hell, look at McVay. He never plays his guys in the preseason. Fair enough. They win, though. So when you've got two five-win seasons and you continue these methods, it's fair game. Right. I don't understand what the end game here is in doing this. 
if they feel maybe Baker gets hurt and Sam needs to be up to speed. But he's been in OTAs. Baker's late to the party. It makes no sense to me. Um, I don't know if Matt has something personal against Baker and this wasn't his call, but Matt's still calling the shots. We could talk all day long, Billy, about bringing McAdoo, Campin. Oh, they finally did it. They built in the staff that he needed. Now Matt Rule can go be a winner. <laughs> Matt Rule still calls the shots. So just understand, you know, we're, we're not quite there yet. Well, I want to switch to the defense now. Um, you know, defensively, we have mentioned that they are light in some areas, particularly at pass rusher um, or at the defensive pass rusher, defensive end pass rusher, excuse me. Um, Carlos Dunlap was a guy they had interest in, but he decided to sign with the Chiefs. Um, you know, the options available are, you know, they're not great. I mean, Jason Pierre-Paul, Eric Flowers, Everson Griffin. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, these are some okay, like, pass rushers who could provide – you know, some snaps for you. Um, But today Marquise Haynes, unfortunately was injured and we don't know how the severity of it, but it sounded like it's going to be an injury that can keep him out for at least, you know, the next few weeks. I don't know. I I wasn't there. I don't know what the um, full prognosis is, but to me, I, I I want to get your perspective. First of all, on the non Brian Burns defensive ends. And do you think that this injury will, kind of accelerate the process into signing a replacement at that position? I think it will. Uh, I, I think we all understand. Uh, and again, I have no sourcing on this item. I, 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 when I have a source, I'll tell you. But on this one, this is just spitballing ideas and using context clues. They did have some interest in Carlos Dunlap. Uh, I was excited about that just for the fact that he fit the, the, the physical profile I think they need on that other side to both get after the quarterback, but also have some more size opposite Burns, Billy, to, to be able to hold up in the run game. I thought that could have really done some good things for them. Uh, and he had some great tape the last six games last year. It came on strong. That ship has sailed. You mentioned Jason Pierre-Paul. Uh, obviously, there's size there and experience. Maybe that's the obvious fit. Uh, Trey Flowers, you've got um, Carl Nassib is still available from the Raiders. Uh, it's it's not a great list. I mean, somebody mentioned D Ford, and D Ford's played in 15 games in three years. So I wouldn't do that. I do think they're going to look at every option because if you look at it now, um, and, and Billy, I want to just mention this to you as well. When you watch this team and you look at the the chart of uh, you know height, weight, all that good stuff, and, and then you see them on the field. It, they they're a little bit light, and you know that on the edge, but they're they're not exactly built for success at nose tackle either. Um, sticking to the edge, I think, you know, your options now in-house, you know, why YGM is going to be moving in and out of three technique on passing downs and then edge on base and, and nickel. So that, that'll happen. Haynes is not a run-setting, edge-setting type of guy. He really is sort of undersized, 6'2", maybe 230-ish. So it's a big-time loss situation if he's gone for a long time because he can give you five, six sacks in a rotational spot. Um, defensive end, Austin Larkin. I mean, this is the rest of the the, the group here. Daryl Johnston, Drew Jordan, Amaro Barne, uh, Amari Barno, who is not big enough right now to hold up full-time. He's going to need a lot of time to get ready for that. He's fast as shit, but he's not big enough. Uh, and then, you know, your, your rest of your group there, you're not looking at a lot of guys like, you know, Frank Heron, it's a thin group. So yeah, I think it would be to their benefit with Brian Burns, honestly doing a good job, if not great job in terms of being an impact edge rusher every week or most weeks at least, but we all know what happened at the end of last season and the end of the season before those ends are for the taking in the run game and they're built for speed. They're built for having a lead. Uh, That's what those first three wins were about last year, but you get on top of Carolina early and and you force them to play not only catch up on offense. I think they might be able to do that this year if Sam's not the quarterback, which I hope he isn't on defense though. They're still in a susceptible spot. I think where if you end up, in a tight game late with a Dallas or a Cleveland or a game where they're up by four and there's eight minutes left, you might not get the ball back. Um, their, their red zone defense was very bad last year, as you know. 
and their run defense as a whole was not up to standards for a defense that people keep saying is the number two defense in the NFL. That's a very uh, elementary way of looking at their rankings. You have to kind of, as you know, dig deep. And those are problem areas that teams will exploit. And this schedule in particular, Billy, does have teams that prefer to have a power run element to them to complement the passing game. So there's a challenge there. I think they got to look into the free agent market and add somebody. I thought that before Haynes got hurt. And they also got to get another nose tackle. We can talk about that too, but Braving Roy is the only guy. And they've got some three technique guys. They've got Derek Brown, who's a bit of a tweener. Um, they brought in Danny Shelton for a visit. I know Danny hasn't seen his best years lately, but I think it might be a good idea to add one more big defensive tackle because you lost to Quan Jones. Obviously, Morgan Fox is less of a nose. He's more of a three technique. He's gone. And Matt Ioannidis is a bigger version of Morgan Fox. But still, it's kind of a light group up front. It's concerning. So what have you seen from them, like, in particular? Has there been anyone who's, like, kind of stood out outside of, obviously, Burns? No, I mean, not really. I mean, this is kind of the, the portion of the camp where you start to see those things because you can now get a sense and a gauge of, okay, wow, players are starting to line up in 11 and 11s and things are happening. Uh, I think you're seeing a lot of playing time by obviously the usual guys, Derek Brown. Your Turgos Matos, the same type of thing we're seeing from Phil Snow, rotational. Playing a lot of snaps, you're playing him in different spots, okay? So you'll see him a lot of times lined up at edge. You'll also see him inside at three technique, and he's very good there in passing downs. Uh, Frankie Lavoux is having a very good camp. I, I can tell you this, too, that the way they have it structured uh, in terms of, like, the position group sort of drills, and I thought this was interesting because it gives you sort of a, an understanding of what they truly consider these guys to be position-wise – so you had Frankie Lavu working with uh, the linebacker group and the linebacker coach in drills all week. Uh, so before practice kicks off, that's where you see Frankie Lavu. Uh, he's with the defense. He's with the uh, sorry, the linebacker group without Holcomb and that gang. Uh, on the defensive line group, let me give you the names: Haynes, Nixon, Burns, Brown, Gross, Matos, Roy, Larkin, Jordan, Barno, Heron, and Hoskins. So they're working. Lavu with linebackers, they're not working Burns in that department. I would imagine that's because you're looking for Lavu to be uh, that type of backer in this system. And we've seen this from teams like Seattle where you have a Leo position in versus the other side. I, I'm thinking they're going to look for Lavu to continue to be a guy that not only rushes the passer, but drops in coverage and tries to get his hand on the ball. And he had a great interception this week. Uh, I'm not concerned that LeVu can't be good. I think what happens here is he was highly efficient in limited reps. You start increasing those reps, um, I, I don't know what you're going to get. He could have 10, 12, 15 sacks. I don't know. Could explode. He's a very physical, alert player, and he has stood out during this camp. So I'm happy to see Frankie getting a lot of playing time at that opposite edge position, linebacker position, however you want to frame it. And uh, I think at the edge position, he will get most of the reps. Now with Haynes out, he's pretty much your, your full-time guy. For sure. And you did speak earlier about the cornerback room, the secondary, and how Steve Wilkes has um, obviously returned. He seems to be much more of a detailed. And I think, you know, him working with in the NFL in the past, particularly with this organization, it gives him a very good foundation of how to relate to NFL players. So, um, what have you seen from that group? Because to me, I I see a couple guys that are obviously uh, solidified in J.C. Horn. I know he's been kind of working his way back. And Dante Jackson, who just got rewarded a big deal this offseason. Um, but outside of that, I see question marks. Okay, let me give you my analysis on that. I, I, I probably disagree with you on that, but maybe you can help me understand if I miss something. Uh, the corner group to me, you don't have Stephon Gilmore, so that's – you know, obviously a loss, and he was very good last year. Uh, I like the fact, personally, and again, this is just me, that, first of all, C.J. Henderson, who we both understood had some issues there during his time in Jacksonville, and I think one of the issues you had talked about is his level of uh, desire to play the game of football. Uh, Steve Wilkes is not always with the corners. It's mostly Evan Cooper, but Steve sort of oversees both groups. He's with the safeties. But they, in the meeting rooms, obviously, there's been some impact. 
CJ looks more involved, happier, more in tune. He's had a camp here to get through this, and I thought he's looked very good so far within that training camp structure. I really do. Uh, the room itself, I, I think when you have Dante Jackson, who I think we both agree is a good corner. I don't think he's great, but I think he's a very good corner. When you've got Henderson, who looks better, has the number one draft pedigree, and we would imagine that can start improving now, but got to see it. Uh, J.C. Horn, they're working back in easily and slowly, and I think he'll be fine by week one. He's so good. He can play slot. He can play outside. He was ready from day one, and he will be like having a new rookie all over again, but one that's got a veteran's mind. I like Miles Hartsfield. I liked him on tape last year. I thought he showed a lot of toughness. Uh, in, in some of these games, late games that they were trying to battle with, like Tampa, playing the slot, had some great coverage uh, reps, and he also can blitz off the edge. So I think that might be your full-time nickel or part-time with Horn. They'll probably bat them back and forth. Keith Taylor, been a little hurt, but we love his size, I think. Uh, and then Stanley Thomas Oliver is a good special teams player. So to me, you know, I mentioned earlier in the week with Steve Wilkes back in the building, I, I think this is one of the better groups they've had collectively from top to bottom in terms of corners. Now, you're not so sure maybe about that, and I, I want to know why, because I'm usually <laughs> second-guessing myself on some of this stuff by nature. Tell me what you're seeing. Well, it's not necessarily what I'm seeing, and I wish I was there. And I think I appreciate your perspective because you are there. And I will obviously get a better look once the preseason games and the the actual games begin. But to me, uh, yeah, I, obviously you had one of the best corners in the NFL in Gilmore. Uh, J.C. Horn was a, you know, for however short he played, he looked like he belonged and looked like he belonged in a much better way as far as like just his talent. And in Dante Jackson, I think everyone knows what he is, even if you have questions about some of his, uh, um, you know, some questions about just his overall game, which is totally fair. But to me, I, I after that, I just see a lot of question marks. I'm not saying these are bad players at all. I don't know that. But, like, the likes of Hartsfield and um, Keith Taylor, again, I liked Keith Taylor when, when he did play. I remember it was that game against Minnesota where he had, yeah. like, three or four pass breakups. He looked really good. So I just have a lot more questions about um, if these guys are going to be NFL-level um, players. And by that, I mean, like, just league average. And I yeah. think that's a fair barometer for NFL corner to reach. No one is going to reach the likes of Jalen Ramsey. I mean, that's just not possible. So, no, right. <laughs> uh, you know, becoming a league average starter, I think, would be constitute a pretty good room. I just haven't seen it with these guys. That's all. Like, the likes of Hartsfield, like, he had moments, but there were a lot more other moments that film last year where – he struggled. He wasn't in position. I think, I think about the Patriots game uh, in the red zone where he didn't really match well with Hunter Henry and Mac had a pretty decent window to throw it. Yeah. So I just kind of question the talent level in the group, not necessarily if what you're seeing is, you know, much better than, you know, I'll take your word for it. And I'll, I can't wait to see what these guys do once, you know, the preseason does begin. Hey, but like Hartsfield is a guy that you mentioned, and there were some games that were up and down for him for certain. I, I totally agree. I think his snap count uh, in terms of coverage was fairly consistent from about that Miami game on, and the, the New England game was not his shining moment. He, he did not have some good moments there. Uh, but in terms of coverage, there were some games that I thought were good, and I love the fact that the coverage has improved in camp a little bit. Now it's camp. He's a very good tackler in that slot role. So if you need somebody to come in and fill, and that's pretty critical for what they want to do. He's 5'11", 211. Uh, I don't know if he'll be much of a player for this defense because if they only have three that are healthy, Horn will probably play a lot of snaps at slot. But he's been better at camp, and I thought there were some games last year where he flashed a little bit, especially in that uh, Tampa game at the end of the year. And the Buffalo game, not – so shabby either. And with Taylor, who, who knows? We'll see. The size is good. But those are bottom-of-the-line guys. And I think the, the big three they have, if they stay healthy together, it's the Wilkes factor, too, with me. I just think that they have an opportunity now to be working under one of the best DB coaches that we've seen around here in a long time. Um, it's, it's a strength point, I think, versus maybe some other spots on this roster, like opposite edge, 
Uh, linebacker seems a little bit dicey to me right now. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I got really no problem. The safety group to me, we can talk about the two. I think it's a pretty good, pretty good unit. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I agree with you that the coaching should elevate the greater sum of the parts. Um, so I never wanted to come off and say that this is a group that uh, you know, necessarily isn't on the same level as the other guys. I just no, uh, no. But I'm glad you're here. I'm, I'm glad you're here though, because like I remember, I see things sometimes in camp, and then I get a little excited, and then we got to remember some of the tape from last year. And you do bury some good points about certain players. I think Hartsfield's a very niche type of guy, but you're right; he's not going to light the world up. <laughs> he said they they're going to exploit him at times. Um, you got to be ready for that. Hopefully, there's a defensive structure that doesn't require guys other than the first three we mentioned to be playing a lot of snaps, but you know, it's the NFL got to be ready. And let's close out here with linebackers. Uh, Shaq Thompson has been, I, I believe on the PUP list. Yes, correct me if I'm wrong. that's correct. He has not practiced and uh, yeah, you're right on that. So w- with that said, that this unit again, there are some question marks that I have uh, as far as just the players and you know how they're performing. I mean, Damian Wilson, I think he's a solid NFL linebacker. He's not going to, he, nothing flashy about his game at all. I think he just knows where to be in the right spots. But, um, you know, last time I checked, there was some legal situation um, surrounding him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know where that stands. But again, solid NFL player, no issues, similar to. Um, Denzel Perryman, who they signed last year. And then we have the rookie, uh, Brandon Smith. But for you, what have you seen from this group? Because you just mentioned that you do have some questions about it. Oh, well, I do. I mean, I, I think anytime you come into a new camp, Billy, uh, ever since the Luke Keekley Thomas Davis days uh, departed us, there, there has been always a certain level of reluctancy to get excited about this group. Uh, now, Shaq last year, I thought, had a good season. I really do. I think, you know, putting himself out there as a team leader, it wasn't easy because they had what I thought at the time and still believe was a sort of a one-trick pony, but very good at that one trick, Denzel Perryman, uh, at, at a situation where he ended up, you know, right or wrong, collecting a lot of tackles in a, a Las Vegas team and made the Pro Bowl, I believe. And that's, you know, Pro Bowl is what it is. But still, you could have used some of that down the stretch in the run game. I liked him a lot for what they brought him in for, and they cut him during training camp. They traded, I'm sorry. Um, Right now, though, getting back to that point, Corey Littleton's getting most of the reps with the ones along with Wilson. And and they both look, you know, fine. Again, in, in the run game, what you do see at times early on in these blocking moments and in the scheme is primarily uh, zone at this point from what I can tell but there's some gap elements to it as well when they mix it up the the edges are where they're trying to hit with McCaffrey and you try to go a little wide and hit that cut and Moten has been obliterating everybody throughout that and what happens there is you give yourself an opportunity to get guys like Corbett or Bozeman to that second level and I'm not seeing anything terrible from Littleton or especially Wilson for that matter, in terms of being able to get off the blocks. Uh, Littleton uh, has been in there the most, I think. You also see this, this rookie that you mentioned, Brandon Smith, number 40. He has had some reps with the ones, mostly with the twos. And when he's been in there with the ones, he's been with Littleton. They're, they're running mostly nickel, Billy. So you don't see a lot of, you know, 43, 34 type of stuff here as defined by, you know, the old school type of terminology, it's basically, you know, two backers and then five DBs. So a lot of Brandon Smith, you see the athleticism there. Obviously when he's on the field, he looks like an athlete. He is an athlete. Uh, The other linebackers you have, you have a Tolson, uh, obviously Graham Mobley. You have Julian Stanford, Kamal Martin. You can count LeVu in that mix if you want to consider him a linebacker. So, again, it's, it's a room that in this day and age and in this division, you don't need like four or five, you know, stout backers to be able to get in there and play stack and stop the run. I, I think when Shaq comes back, Littleton would be the obvious guy to have with him there because with Damian Wilson, uh, let's face it, he's got questions about his legal situation. Uh, you know, this came up recently in a press conference. I think Joe Person brought it up 
But the report from uh, the Dallas Morning News initially mentioned that Wilson showed up to his ex-girlfriend's place drunk and uh, started, you know, breaking stuff and threatening to kill her. That's a report, again, from the Dallas Morning News, not me. Um, and then, you know, he has not really had a chance to address this until this week. Um, and his comment on it, you know, I, I can't say much about legal issues. Um, no comment. Um and that's where he left it. So obviously we don't know. I would imagine, you know, there's a good chance he might miss a day or two, a practice or a game or two for this. This is not a pretty uh, situation. So you got to start planning ahead for that. Now, I don't think they're going shopping for veteran linebackers at this point. But I think when Shaq comes back, when he's right, um, they'll, they'll be okay. They'll be fine. They're just thin, Billy. They're thin and they're young behind what they have at, at the veteran spots. So I'm always concerned about linebacker. I have been since Luke and Thomas left. That's just that that's never going to stop for me because Shaq is not quite at their level, although he is good. Um, and I think you got to be careful. Once some guys start dropping, you get some injuries here. Uh, that's when it gets problematic. No, I totally understand where you're coming from, um, but that makes sense that the injuries can uh, are just kind of holding things back a little bit. But uh, John. This has been a really informative discussion. Um, anything else you want to say to the audience as I'm just trying to get acclimated myself and hopefully by next week when I actually watch the preseason games, I'll provide some much more uh, detailed analysis on my observations. No, I, first of all, glad you're back. It's, it's been too long. I want to, of course, uh, as we come to you here on a Saturday, just mention that we had a chance to watch Sam Mills, uh, widow give a very compelling induction speech in Canton at the pro football hall of fame. And uh, her quote was keep pounding everyone. That's what Sam would want you to do. And that's from Melanie Mills, the widow of Sam Mills. And I think it was a great day. Um, we get so bogged down with, with training camp fodder. And I know I'm one of several people that cover that team who really uh, sort of turbo through the, <laughs> the nuances of practice and you can get really bogged down with it. It's information overload, but it was nice to sort of take a break, have a little lunch, sit down and watch a great Hall of Fame enshrinement. And, and my favorite player of all time for this organization, Sam Mills, the late great Sam Mills with a bust in Canton. Hell yeah, man. That's good shit. So <laughs> I know that wasn't eloquent, but it certainly made my day. Uh, as far as the football side goes, uh, a quick few updates. Joe Person uh, is reporting that Going back to what Scott Fitterer said, that the team was looking to possibly bring in edge rushers. He mentioned Jason Pierre-Paul is uh, one of many. Uh, people have been asking about Robert Quinn. Would they make a play for Robert? That would probably cost you a second-round pick. I say don't do it because he's too up and down. Um, just going through my notes here and making sure I'm not missing anything important. There will be practice again coming up here. They're off tomorrow. Uh, they practice again on Monday morning. And they will practice Monday, Tuesday, I believe Wednesday. I'll double check. I know Thursday's Fan Fest. And then we turn right back around. It's game week. You got Ron Rivera's commanders with John Matsko and company waiting to test out this first line of defense here. And we'll see about the quarterback. I think the big thing that we didn't touch on, and I'd like to take a minute here just before we go and get your take on it, when I talk with people that we usually network with, Billy, around the league, because we like to get a variety of opinions, you know, our own is enough, but we also want to make sure that, you know, like Cosell, guys like that, and even scouts around the league, I asked them about this Akeem Aquanu situation. So if you're not aware, and let me get you up to speed, Billy, and fans are aware of what's going on. Aquanu is not playing with the ones at left tackle, okay? And that, I guess it's not unusual for rookies, I understand. And even though this team has been waiting for over a decade for a bona fide left tackle, they're doing high fives in the draft room because they've got their guide, fell in their lap. They gave up nothing. So Christensen has been running with the ones, almost primarily at left tackle. Aquanu is running at the ones in some limited series, but not very often. Um, that bothers me. Um, it may not be a big deal. It may be fine. Matt Rule came out last week, Billy, and said to the media that Akeem Aquanu is not given anything right now. He has to earn his starting role. I don't know where that came from. I don't know why he had to say that publicly, but he did. 
Um, Christensen, to me, has looked very good at left tackle. He's had some good reps against Brian Burns in camp. My issue with this is, number one, they're not giving any reps to Aquanu at guard right now. None. Zero. He's exclusively the second left tackle. So, Christensen, you had your opportunity last year in a season that was very much lost to start him and do the evaluation on him then, at least on the first leg of things. You wasted yeah. that opportunity. Now you're having to use these reps to evaluate Christensen as your potential left tackle and at the expense of a rookie who was drafted very early in the draft for a tackle is basically running with the twos. And we're 35 days away from opening day. The whole idea here, Billy, was to get your five and set it. And I don't like this. I may not see it for what it is yet, but I've tried. Yesterday, also, one more footnote. Pat Elfline was starting at center. No injury to Bozeman. Now, I know Pat's been a center before. He ran with the ones the entire practice until the end, and then they put Bozeman in in red zone. Now, Bozeman was back at first team today. But I don't understand that you draft a Quanu. I'm okay if you draft him top 10 and he's a left tackle, but he moves to guard. Some people hate that. I'm like, fuck it. Look, Quentin Nelson's a great left guard that was taken early. If you've got a left guard that can dominate, have a left guard that can dominate. He's a left tackle, though, and he's your rookie, and he's your draft pick. And Christensen was, what, third round? And the arms were short, and I just – he this coach drives me nuts sometimes because it's not like these guys are splitting reps. Christensen's getting the majority – and he's not blowing people away. He looks fine. He looks pretty good at times. But I, I would like to see Aquanu in the starting five. I don't want to see him riding the bench or doing the moat and swing tackle thing from 2018. He's too good for that. Mm-hmm. So I, that to me seems like something that needs to be monitored as we go along. And the feedback I got again from a couple of scouts around the league is just head scratching because these guys scouted Aquanu just nonstop, and they, they just saw some things in the pass set technique that needed to be worked on a little bit. And we both knew that. It, it, it would need to take some time. But he had OTAs, and now he's had, you know, a full week and a half of camp. And now you've you got to go you, you got to go into your season one game, week one game, without any knowledge of who your starting five are going to be once again. This is from an NFC scout. Quote, yeah, I think Aquanu not in the lineup is more telling than the quarterback situation. The Panthers wanted him in the worst way. We know how it's been in the past. Jacking him around and not letting him gel with the starters is insanity. That's from a scout from an NFC team. Uh, doesn't mean it's his gospel, but uh, I know what I'm seeing, and I know it doesn't feel right. And well, what happened, is, what happened after OTA? Something about the Matt Rule calling out Equano's conditioning? Uh, that I don't recall. Now, I know he called out a number of people on conditioning. Um, I have to go back and look, but I know he very clearly, I don't want to say he called him out here in Spartanburg, uh, but here's what he said back on August 4th, and this is from NFL.com. To me, Icky's a rookie. He's got to earn everything he gets. He's got a long way to go. He's, do- he's done some things very well naturally. He's unbelievably powerful, talented, but there's a lot to this game. There's a lot of nuances and techniques and all those things. He's got a long way to go. He'll get there, but every day he's got to work. And that's, you know, that resonates zero with me, by the way. It's, he's a dominant left tackle who needs a little work in the pass sets. And you don't get that work sitting on the bench or riding with the twos. So when you're riding with the twos, you're facing less potent edge guys. And first of all, that's not helping your development. If they truly think Brady can be a left tackle, what has changed? Is that a camping thing? Did he put that in, in, in rules head and say, you've got a guy here that can be a great left tackle, roll in this direction. All I know is if this continues and Aki does not start getting one reps with the left tackle side, and again, I think moving him to guard is fine. He's done that. But do something other than just have Christensen at left tackle. Then who's your left guard? Yeah. Good question there. That's all going to be from us today. Uh, we will be back next week. And more importantly, next week is game week. So we'll have uh, analysis before and after the game. And certainly after the game, we're going to be really touching on some of the position battles and just the overall performance of the players. So um, 
Thank you again, everyone. And uh, we'll catch you next time. So you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 